I can't say that you can scale this crazy, crazy well. Maybe you can. I, I just haven't tried to do it. But all of my investment properties, but one are all owner carry. There's a commercial building next door. It's 6,000 uh, feet of retail. It's about two and a half thousand feet of residential upstairs. One of the, you know, We're turning one of the 900 square foot areas into an apartment right now. And that was owner carry. Put five grand down on my own money for that and owner carry for the rest. This is the Real Estate Addicts Podcast, episode 69, with your host, Ray Herto of HRV Homes. Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Mark Savatsky, Choose Boston. Today, we are joined by Trevor Mock from Carrot.com. Awesome. Nice. Hey, Trevor. What's glad up, you, guys? I'm glad I'm, you can make it. On, dude, I'm pumped to be on here with you guys. I know, like we were talking right before we, we hit record, we have a mutual new friend of ours up in Boston, an investor. I'm pumped to get to know you guys today. Yeah, small world one of our buddies, just to key everyone in. Last week or two weeks ago, he was like, oh, I'm going out to the West Coast to meet with these guys. Uh, and I was like, oh, who are you meeting with? He was like, oh, the guys from, have you heard of Carrot? And I was like, Carrot? I was like, I'm, we're having Trevor on our podcast in like a week. <laughs> so it was kind of a small world there. Pumped to have you on and learn about what you guys are doing. And Mark's chugging coffee on in the background. Uh, Mark, what'd you, what'd you do last night? You guys are going to have to do the heavy lifting here. Do most of the talking. I'm I'm running at like a Pentium One right now. <laughs> so, uh, first, <laughs> late night. First a night back without the masks on and like in a room full of crowded people and friends and stuff. So uh, yep. drinks were flowing. It was fun. And uh, shout out, I guess, to Volney and to Ricky for hosting that. It was a cool event. Nice, cool. Trevor. You're on the West Coast. Yeah, dude. I'm in a small town called Oregon. It's uh, about three hours south of Portland on the I-5 okay. and dude, 30,000 people. So little tiny town. Nice. O or nice. Oregon, California or Oregon, Oregon? <laughs> yeah, or or Oregon, Oregon, man. It's starting to more and more become Oregon, California because all the Californians moving up here. But yeah. Have you been there fun. for a while? Dude, I, I grew up in Oregon. I grew up in a, in, a, in a different town in Southern Oregon. Went to college there, you know, played baseball, did the whole thing. Bought my first investment properties by that college uh, when I was in college. And then we were in Portland for a few years. And we actually moved down here in, in Roseburg uh, in 2008. And that's where, you know, I've, I've been buying up as much of downtown Roseburg as I can, buying these historical buildings. And we're working on renovating them, getting uh, tenants in them, residential upstairs, re retail downstairs. And that's kind of my, my side hustle outside of, uh, outside of Carrot. Yeah, I was going to ask. So it's kind of a, you're kind of the mixed use play. Yeah, it's more, it's more of like a passion thing, you know, where, and we might get into it later in this podcast, but one big thing that I have that I believe in Dan is like, you don't have to be passionate about your business, right? You, you, you don't have, let me, let me reverse that. You don't have to build a business around your passion. Like if you love golfing or if you love mountain biking or, you know, whatever it is, you don't have to build a business that's a mountain bike blog or, or become a professional mountain biker, but you should build a business that, that enables you to fuel your passion you know, that enables you to have the time that you want to be able to spend a mountain bike more to do whatever it is. And so for me, I started to kind of grow this love of this little town and also this love of rural America. You know, the rural America is kind of the underdog all around the place. And before the pandemic, everyone's moving to the big cities and you start to see all this brain drain happening, people coming out of rural and going to big cities and um, all the big tech companies and things like that, they're started in the, you know, in the Portland's or San Francisco's or wherever else. And, and I said, well, shoot, what if we could do it here? Like what, what if we could build something special in a little tiny town in rural, in rural America and make it to where all the, all the guys in the big cities take notice and how then could, can we use that business to then fuel making our community better? I have a question about that. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, it's an amazing that you want to do it, have you gotten pushback at all from both like local municipalities and or folks that have been in the the small towns for such a long time that they're afraid of potentially change or afraid of the big G word or afraid of all these big tech guys coming in, making a ton of money, and then no one else can afford to live there? Because we get that all of the time here in Boston with prices continuing to go up and up and up. So I don't know if you're seeing or feeling the same thing in the kind of the small town. Dude, that, that's such a good question. I think we might be in a, in a little bit different scenario because there's literally like almost no tech here. 
people are pumped to have anything that is not timber or wineries or, you know, we have a beautiful area. And if you want to come and do outdoors, it's like one of the best places ever for fly fishing, steelhead for rock climbing, 35 wineries in town. It's like amazing for that. Right. What happens is there's not a lot of high paying jobs because this area historically uh, had been a timber producing County. It was, it was America's number one timber producing County for like 30 or 40 years. And so it's still trying to kind of find its, its footing. And so at least, at least now in the early days, we don't have such a big influx of, of tech and, and those types of things happening where it's starting to have a negative impact on those people. And I think people like that. They like the energy that they like that there's something new. And when there's even kids here that are graduating high school, going to the local community college or whatever, and realizing that they don't have to move away to be able to do what they want to do. You know, they don't have to move away to be able to get into tech or get into, you know, whatever they want to get into. Cool. So my, you're kind of in the little, uh, the, uh, honeymoon period there. <laughs> yeah. Dude, uh, honeymoon period is probably going to be this way for 20 years. You know, like, like we're, we're, we're way behind and we'll never get to where Boston is, but it's, it's, it's interesting to, it's kind of my last thought on, on this is my wife and I, we were looking at moving to a bigger town a couple of years after we were here. And, and this kind of goes back to business and how do we use business to fuel our passions? How do we use business for impact? How do we use business? So it's not just to turn some deals and to do that where the business can actually give you energy and give you purpose instead of just giving you an, an income. And we looked at it and said, well, let's write down kind of pros and cons of all the places we could move, you know, in these different towns. So this move is going to get us a little bit closer to this family, but farther away from these and closer to these friends, but farther away from these. And this town's going to give us more places to shop and more restaurants and you know, whatever. And, and we looked at it and said, man, at the end of the day, we're not guaranteed to be happier in any of those places. Because yeah, they're going to give us more places to spend our money. And there's some cool places at those or some cool things to do there. But at the end of the day, we still have to build community. And like community is the thing that's going to drive that purpose and in that sense of belonging and, and to make it feel like a home. And that's when we said, well, dude, what if we just actually tried to build community here? Like you guys are doing on the podcast, right? But how do we do it in person? And we went out and started a local entrepreneur group. Uh, which became the largest young entrepreneur group in the state of Oregon in little tiny Roseburg. We've helped to start many, many businesses, two or three restaurants here, two breweries, the biggest brewery in town now started here in this building uh, with us. And that really became kind of that purpose for me before Carrot. It's like, how do we build businesses that give us freedom and make an impact in our communities? And Carrot was built on the same ethos. For our listeners who might not be familiar with Carrot, mm-hmm. can you give them a quick elevator pitch on what the company is and what you guys do? Yeah, dude, for sure. So we, we primarily work with real estate investors like house flippers, wholesalers, land investors. But now we're working with increasingly more, a lot of agents too, kind of forward thinking thing, agents who are wanting to do content marketing to build authority to stand out. But what, what we really specialize in is you know, there's the real estate industry has two parts of it, just like any commodity. You have the wholesale part and you have the retail part. The retail part is pretty much ignored the wholesale industry for 30 years saying it's the underbelly of real estate, you know, saying it's the wholesaling is illegal, whatever it is, trying to protect the, you know, protect the retail side. The wholesale side is like, we can't find investor-friendly agents. That's always what people talk about. And then four or five years ago, I started talking about, shoot, uh, the industry's cramming together. You've got iBuyers coming in there, Zillow's coming in there. And they're kind of saying, well, retail, wholesale, we need to come in and, and be one. Sellers want to talk to someone who can solve their problem in multiple ways, not fit it into a box of a listing or fit it into a box of a wholesale. And so that's primarily what we, what we help with, Mark, is we're going to help you as an investor or an agent or a hybrid of what we call you know, being, being both, attract the most motivated sellers online. Uh, if you were to Google sell my house fast Boston or sell my house fast insert whatever city in the country, you're probably going to find many of those top rankings or carrot sites. And our clients pull in about 80,000 leads a month, uh, mostly organic Google search leads, mostly sellers. I like that. Why the name Carrot? A couple of things. So kind of going back to, to that, you know, pre-Carrot days before this, this business, I'll give you the literal reason. Like the literal reason is when we're thinking of the business name, I didn't want it to be boring. I wanted to be able to brand the thing. Like you, you guys can see on the video, but I, like it. I mean, if I were to turn this, this thing around, my couch is orange. Like we've got these, one second. It's like the Nickelodeon orange almost these, uh, color. We've got like a whole line of dolls that we send out thousands of these things every year. There's like super yeah. carrot there. There's <laughs> there's a carrot gal, there's farmer carrot, agent carrot, like all that stuff. We said, we want to be able to have fun with the brand. 
We want to be able to wrap people in something that's like generic that we can move into different markets if we wanted to. So it's not, it's not honed into just one industry. But at the end of the day, it was like, what should a website be for a small business? It doesn't matter if it's an investor, an agent, any small business. A website should be something that you reach up and grab. Like it, it shouldn't be just a brochure like most websites were and have been. Hey, I'm online. Check the box I got online. We say, no, your website should actually entice someone to, to grab it, to bite it. And it's you're kind of dangling the carrot in front of them. So they take action on it. And that's what we focus on is creating our, our websites to be the highest converting, highest performing websites in the industry. Do you pretty much create all of the website, all the copy, all the content, and you handle all of like the SEO and the rankings and all that for your investors or for your clients? Or how does that whole thing, how does basically, if I was starting off and I yeah. wanted to start internet marketing for my investing business or development business, walk yep. me through how that happens. That's a great question. So the first thing is we're, we're not an agency. And like er, early on with Kara, that was one of my things where coming out of my previous business, I kind of grew to, to despise. And we can talk about that transition if you guys want, like how to go from a business that traps you to a business that frees you and that supports you versus you supporting it. I wrote down these five non-negotiables, uh, Dan. And one, one of those non-negotiables was I want a consistency and predictability and I wanted to build an asset you know, that I could do something with if I wanted to. And I didn't want an agency because it'd be harder to number one, build a real asset from that. And also you lose one client unless you're going to build a big agency that could really hit your income and make it inconsistent. And so I went into the software model and we have 8,000 customers. So we definitely, we can't do SEO for everybody, but what our software is, you go in there and let's say you want to go after motivated house sellers. You'll click a couple buttons. You launch a motivated house seller website on our system that loads really, really fast, that has all the words on there, has all the pages set up. It's set up for conversion. It's set up with the SEO principles in mind. Your title tags are on there. Your alt tags, like everything's there. But then what we encourage our clients to do is use our framework and then go, let me make it mine now. You know, So the client will log in and put their logo in, get their testimonials on there, change the colors, swap out the photos, just really personalize it so it stands out. And so their credibility, their story, their information is being put on there so they build trust. And then we have training and tools that help people rank well on Google faster and easier. So we have a, a tool that turns your YouTube videos automatically into written, written articles for you called Video Post. We have a tool where our team writes articles each month that are based on research of what sellers are typing in in different markets, like long-term kind of niche stuff. And we crank out about 24-hour articles a month. And there's a feature where you can go on there, schedule those up, modify them a little bit so they're unique, and then crank those, those puppies out, use them for social, get them ranked well in Google. So it, it's kind of like our framework that has performed so well over the years, we make it way easier for you to get the result. But if you want to dive in and do SEO, you're going to have to hire someone to build backlinks and things like that, or just go through our training to do it. Trevor, are you a programmer by background? Like what's your, what's your background education? Dude, I, I, I know nothing about programming whatsoever. So I, I couldn't. <laughs> so how couldn't did you get here? <laughs> yeah. I, I Cause you sound very knowledgeable in it. <laughs> Here's the thing. I think this, I think this relates to anyone in, in any industry, real estate, it doesn't matter what it is, is early on what I had started to, to look at and discover was it's not me that discovered, I discovered it for myself. It was like, damn, if I can just solve people's problems, like if I can, number one, identify their problem, number two, solve their problems, then you can be compensated really, really well for that. For me, I started to study marketing. Like I'm a marketer. In the early days, you know, you guys on this call, you guys can see bookshelf number one. I've got three bookshelves in here like that. Like half those books are marketing books from back in the day. They're all leadership books now because I have 50 employees. But back in the day, they were like, they're all marketing books. And so that's really what, what led into that is me building my own real estate business, learning how to drive leads online. And I learned SEO really well, learned conversion rate optimization, have ran you know, a thousand plus split tests, but I didn't know how to code anything. And so I went out there and found people that could do all that work. And I've got a co-founder co in this business. But as long as you as an investor, an agent, a toilet salesman, like it doesn't matter what it is, as long as you're like, I'm going to dive deep and find out how to discover the problems, the pains, the fears, the frustrations, the uh, objections of the person I'm working with. And I'm going to step back and really ask some good questions to figure out what would solve this for you. And then now let me go find a solution, create a solution to solve it. 
so many investors these days are going by a script and they're looking at that person as a piece of meat in the other end versus someone who has a problem. Let me just learn about your problem. And like, I might have some ways I can solve this for you. I picked up on one piece there. You were saying you've done, you know, thousands of like AB tests or or just testing in general. Mm -hmm. Now, were you doing that for yourself? Like what came first, this business idea or investing, or was it something else? And then it turned into investing because you did say that kind of your investments on the side here are more of a side hustle. So can you just walk us through kind of how you got to that part and how, what were you testing things on? Dude, for, for, for sure. So I'll, I'll set some more context for where I am now. So that kind of, you know, has a full story arc for people. So where we are today with Carrot, you know, we're about 50 employees, eight figure year business, over 13,000 websites are on our system, collecting a little over a million leads a year, most of them organic, most of them sellers, off-market deals. Where we started though, dude, was I, I was in college and I had this college professor named Ari DeGroote and he was a business law professor. And like, usually those classes are the most boring classes in the world, right? And uh, he was up there like making business law exciting. And he was, he was an attorney and a real estate investor. And so I'm like, dude, he looks happy and he looks like he's doing something he enjoys. <laughs> and like, he's excited about this. I'm, I just want to be him. And so I studied hard to get into law school and I studied hard to buy a real estate, buy a deal, picked up a used version of a uh, Carlton Sheets is no money down, like literally infomercial stuff. (laughs) And I got half that equation, right? I completely flunked the LSAT test, couldn't get into any law school, but I bought a rental property when I was 21, a four unit building by my college. I'm like, okay, this real estate thing's kind of cool. Bought it with none of my own money, none of my own credit. Owner carry, still have that property today. Cash flowed from day one. You said owner carry, like the owner took the note initially? Yep. Took, oh, took, cool. took all the note except for 10 grand. And wow. then I went out and found 10 grand of private money. I, I didn't have any money in the deal. And that was your first deal? First deal. Yeah, that's, so, that's so interesting because when Dan and I did our first deal, we had a seller that carried the note for us as well. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it, we've never had that happen again. It's like, it's like a unicorn kind of thing. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if it's more common out there, but like over here, people just want their money and then they want to run away. That's a whole nother topic. I can't say that you can scale this crazy, crazy well. Maybe you can. I, I just haven't tried to do it. But all of my investment properties, but one are all owner carry. There's a commercial building next door. It's 6,000 feet of retail. It's about 2,500 feet of residential upstairs. One of the, We're turning one of the 900 square foot areas into an apartment right now. And that was owner carry. Put five grand down of my own money for that and owner carry for the rest. The deals are definitely out there, but I think... The reason that I've had a high percentage of that is I've always looked for people that are older in their investor journey. They're in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and they don't want the big tax bill, you know, because they bought the property 20, 30 years ago and they don't want the big tax bill. So they're willing to, to do an owner carry. They just want the income that they were used to with the rentals. This building was vacant when I bought it next door. But then also they're like, dude, I, I would totally totally like to just offer you this. So we get a return on the money. Cause I don't know what I would do with 300 K anyway. They wouldn't put it into a money market or a CD that's earning nothing. So they're sitting there you're earning their five, uh, 5% on it. So could keep them from spending it on a, uh, an asset that doesn't appreciate or go into the casino or something. Yeah, dude, for sure. And, and these <laughs> deals are going to be even more plentiful the next decade because you have the boomer generation who owns more real estate than any other generation. And the generation ahead of them is, pretty much aging out the, you know, the 80, 90 year olds that owned a lot of real estate, but now the boomer generation inherited a lot of that and, or have a lot of it. And I think over the next 10 years, they're going to want to start to sell those properties, potentially do owner carries on those. So keep an eye out for those for sure. But um, no, that's cool. Yeah. Sorry. So I didn't mean to derail there. So going back to like, you, you said you did like thousands of little tests. So was mm-hmm. that testing that you do on the backend infrastructure that all the sites of I don't know if you call them members or, or, yep. or clients or whatever. Is that how you're doing your testing? Or is it something that you did when you were getting the service started? It was both. So I, I dove into the marketing side of it, bought that, that property. Then I, I moved up to Portland and realized, man, I, I don't want to do real estate day to day. Like that, that was for me. I said, I want real estate for my passive income. And I kind of discovered the internet that next year, this would have been a year after college as far as for business goes. And um, a guy walked into my office and he's like, hey, can you get this site? you know, my site, can you get it ranked at the top of Google? And that's kind of how I started to learn everything. People would say, well, how do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know, I'll figure it out. 
And so early, early on, um, this sort of in 2009, I was starting to get pretty good at, at creating content, like written content on Google that would get ranked really well. But the problem was people would get to my website and they wouldn't convert into a lead. And so I'm going, cool, I got part of the equation down where I'm getting ranked really high in Google with good, robust content that's evergreen content. It's going to be up there for years. It's high value. It's really good stuff, but they're not turning into business for me. And so I was one of the first customers with a tool called Visual Website Optimizer. It's VWO.com today. I literally have account number 57. And so I, I got an account when it was free. Uh, they gave me a free account. And then it was a year or so later, they turned it into paid. And what, what I started to do, uh, Ray, was, was I would run split tests on simple stuff, start with headlines. I would go well, like this headline versus that headline. And oftentimes people don't think that, that a simple headline change can make a big impact, but it can. And then I'm like, well, what about the buttons? What about the form fields? What about the placement of the form field? What about a long copy page versus a short copy page? And so I took all that experience from my own websites and doing split tests uh, for other people in the real estate industry. And then in 2013, when the idea came up for Carrot, uh, I saw the problem in the industry of, the problem wasn't that people couldn't get online anymore. Everyone could get online with Wix, Weebly, Squarespace, GoDaddy, launch a custom WordPress site, go to the local mom and pop web developer, whatever it is. The problem was people were online, but they weren't performing. They weren't ranking high. They weren't, when people got there, they weren't, weren't turning into leads. And so I took that, that split testing experience and I'm just like, well, what if we just toss out a WordPress theme that just people can use and it converts better? And we did. That was like before Carrot. And people are going, dude, this is turning into leads. Like, do you have ones for sellers? Do you have ones for buyers? Things like that. And then we took that same ethos and we said, we're all about performance. While everyone else is trying to give you prettiness and aesthetic uh, differences, we're, we're going to focus everything on performance. And what we do today is at any given time in our, it's called our innovation lab. At any given time, we have between 20 and 30 split tests running across dozens and dozens of client sites. An example of one that we wrapped up a month ago, it's a crazy simple one. I'm not going to say it's like groundbreaking. It's not going to be one people are going to be like, their heads are going to explode from. I'll say one that their heads might explode from here in a second. But we just said, well, we need to get the form higher on mobile. You know, so people don't have to scroll down to see the button and everything. And what if we eliminate the words, the two or three lines of, of text that was above the form that said, hey, just fill out your information below, da, 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 da. Let's eliminate that. And we'll, let's do a test on, a mobile, on mobile devices across five different websites in, in five different markets that are getting enough traffic to make it statistically relevant. And what we discovered is on four of the five sites, it increased conversion by between 30 and 45%, just wow. by eliminating those three lines of text, bringing up the opt-in box up higher on mobile. And so when, when you do dozens of those types of tests each year, and let's say half of them or a quarter of them prove to be a winning test, it's those little tiny tweaks over a long period of time that make a website convert great. Testing question, Trevor, just to challenge the assumption a little bit. I've always understood that house is the biggest asset in somebody's life and they don't transact on it very often. And so for that reason, they just trust the equivalent of the Tiffany blue box. And that is Coldwell Banker, probably Compass now, Keller Williams, and you just hire an agent. And that's how most Americans sell their houses because it's only two and a half or 5% and they'd rather not trust themselves and sell direct. And so obviously you're finding sellers who are selling direct and foregoing perhaps that avenue. Can you speak to that? Maybe this is the new age and people don't, uh, don't need Keller Williams, et cetera. Dude, that, that's such a good question. I'm glad we're diving into this. So the way that Carrot started was hyper-focused on the wholesale side of the industry, right? It was like off-market properties, people who need to sell fast, people who are in a distressed situation. And I'll, I'll kind of walk through some of those situations. And it's just been the last two to three years where we've brought a lot of focus to the retail side too, because we see the two mashing together to be one. And, and here's, here's what happens, Mark, is this. Here's two examples. So I'm buying houses in Louisville and, and wholesaling houses in Louisville right now using, our, using Carrot. And uh, we closed the deal about three weeks ago that we did really well on. The seller got their problem solved amazingly well that an agent couldn't have solved it. And, and I'll kind of walk through why. And then our buyer got a, a great deal and they're going to make the property nicer and make it so it can get back on the market and actually get more, more inventory back in the market. This property was a hoarder house. I probably had three foot worth of stuff. You couldn't walk in the property, three foot worth of stuff and a person that was in the property that would not move out, okay? So there was a, a, an absentee owner in a different state 
They'd owned the property. It was actually her son that would not move out of the property. And she's like, I just can't evict my son. And we said, okay, well, we can take care of the problem for you and we'll make it humane. We actually paid him money to, to leave the, the property. So it wasn't like a yanking him out on the streets. Like, let's pay you money to set you up in an apartment or whatever we need to do. So you're taken care of for, for a while. If we pay him a few grand to get out. Okay. We work with the seller. That property could never have made it to MLS. Could never have made it to MLS until we went in there, solved the problem, helped the tenant go find a place that wasn't a hoarder house anymore. Mm-hmm. We cleaned up all the crap. And then we ended up finding a buyer who bought it, is working on fixing it up. And then they were going to put it back on the market to sell. Is that you or is that one of your clients, like one of your clients on Carrot? Or is that you? Yes, yeah, so that, that, that deal was me. Yes, oh, okay. that, that deal was me. So um, I'm wholesaling anywhere between three to five houses a month with our customers. So I drive all the traffic in the, in the leads. And then they're the ones on the other end capturing that lead, doing the negotiation. We close it together. So that's one example. Another one, Mark, is, is, is this, is what we found in our data is, let's say, let's say you get 10 leads that come through, kind of like Open Door Offer Pad is doing, saying, hey, we'll make an offer on your house. We'll make a fair offer, okay? The assumption that's out there in the market in general is that, uh, especially from the real estate agent side, is why would someone ever accept a below retail offer when the market's so hot and houses are selling just like this and that you got five or 10 above asking price offers, right? And that, that's a logical thing to think. Well, it kind of goes back to that situation. Here's, here's another situation. This gentleman going through divorce uh, with his wife. What happened is these are like the hairy situations, right? The wife cheated on the husband. Her boyfriend moved into the house while the husband was on vacation or something. And now the house is pretty much landlocked. We're like, we're like, we need to sell the house because we're going through a divorce. No one will touch it. Like no one will help them solve the problem. And it's actually the guy's house. It's his house. It's not hers. And she's in there with, with her new boyfriend. And so same thing. We go in there like tough situation. Agent's not going to touch it. So we go in there, buy it at a discount, get it cleaned up, evict those people, get them into an apartment, pay the money to do so. And then we get it back on the market on the retail side of it. And there's some other ones too. There's a fire damage house that we picked up in Wilmington, North Carolina, two months ago that with my business partner there, we, we did a flip on that one. The whole garage was all burnt. The insurance company wouldn't give the owner of the property enough money to do the full repair of the fire damage in the garage and par- the partial bedroom that it burnt. And so what happens? Like an agent's not going to touch that one uh, in general. Some may, right? Some may, but then it's going to take some time to market it and how long is it going to take to find the right buyer through that avenue? And how long is it going to take to find the right buyer who has the cash to come in and purchase it immediately? We get the lead and we close on that property within seven days. And so that seller, their problem's taken care of. They got money that they could go now and go deploy somewhere else. We go in there and repair the property in this case. And then we sell it on the retail with the real estate agent uh, uh, listing it. It's only about 20% of the leads that we get. So if we're going to get 10 leads, 10 seller leads, 20% will be open to a cash offer because they have that motivation. And it's an amazing business model for the investor agent. And then 80% want retail. And so that, that's why we're working with our clients to go, hey, all you investors who are driving all these leads through Carrot, and you're throwing 80% of these leads away that want retail, all these agents, like you guys want leads right now. And what if we just pair the two of you up so the agents can take the, the retail leads and investors can can buy and redeploy those distressed houses and get them back on the market. I have two questions. One is, do you find your platform to be more successful in rural areas versus more urban areas? Just because I feel the urban markets like Boston, New York, even Port- Portland, Seattle, they're just, you know, they're super competitive. Pricing is super high. There's a lot the development that's going on is much larger. You're not talking about just kind of single families. You're talking about mm-hmm. multifamilies or, or even larger. So that is my first question is kind of your, is your platform geared more towards that? And then second is how do you avoid competition within the same market yeah. on your platform? No, no, Awesome questions, man. As far as the rural versus, versus, um, versus urban, we, we definitely don't find a real difference there. Because every single market has people who have the time and the luxury of the time to be able to sell retail and get get maximum. And every market has people who are in a distressed situation where they just need to sell. The difference is there's a lot fewer of them by volume in, in rural areas. There's a lot more of them by volume in bigger areas. 
And so we have clients uh, up in Tacoma and Seattle, here's an, as an example, Keith Sant, uh, one of our clients, he was down at our Carrot Camp event a few weeks ago, and he buys about 10 houses a month in that market, 100% using the internet. He keeps some of them, he flips some of them, he wholesales some of them, and then he takes a lot of those leads and, and pass them off to his real estate agent friends. And so there's not a really urban and rural divide here. The volume is higher of those types of leads. You can actually close more of those deals in bigger markets. As far as the concentration, uh, you know, saturation side of it, there is just, just like with direct mail, just like with cold calling, there's a concept that I, I talk about called ebb and flow marketing and any outbound marketing. So let's talk cold calling, direct mail, you know, in, any outbound door knocking, any that kind of thing. You see these trends in every market. Let's go to Boston as an example. You see these trends in every market where you go, shoot, my direct mail pieces just aren't converting like they were to years ago because everybody, every agent or every investor is sending a similar postcard. And I go show up to a seller's house and the seller's got a stack of postcards, right? And so what happens is direct mail works amazingly well until everybody's doing it to the same list. And then it still works, but you have to send out a lot more direct mail to get the same result. Okay. And then what do people do? They go, oh shoot, you know, no one's cold calling. And so then people start cold calling and no one's cold calling. So cold calling converts amazingly well. And then they spin up teams to do that. And then all of a sudden sellers are getting, you know, three, four, five cold calls from all these random numbers and they stop picking up and they go, shoot, you know what? Uh, and that lasts about a year and a half to two years. And they go, you know what? Uh, text messaging is what's getting them now. So everyone starts text messaging. I'm getting one to two text messages a week, probably from my own customers who are using other tools to send text messages out. We don't do text messaging, but now text messaging is, is way up here. What happens? It gets regulated after two years. Bam, it's going to go like this. And so any outbound marketing has an ebb and flow and you have to always be on your toes to figure out what's, what's going to work in my market right now. The online side doesn't have an ebb and flow. The online side is actually collecting demand that is actually increasingly going up. And so more and more people are going to their phone and typing up a phrase like, you know, sell my house fast in Boston. You know, our, our friend, I don't know if you guys know Tom Caffarella in that market. He's a big investor. Yes. Oh, I've been yeah. a care client forever. He's been a care client for years. And um, if you if you Google phrases like that, sell my house fast, Boston, sell my house fast, you know whatever it is, Boise, Idaho, or cash home buyers in this market, or uh, selling a house in divorce, or you know, whatever the situations are, those people are increasingly going to the internet to find those solutions. And as long as you can get in front of them, the demand's growing higher. Now, saturation wise, yeah, there are only ten organic spots in page one, and there's only four ads at the top of Google, uh, but there's hundreds of keywords people are typing in. That is a challenge. The one thing that we've taught people to do though, is whether you are going to do online marketing or not, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. Tons of keywords sellers are typing in. Facebook is working great still for sellers. If you do it the right way, the website has to be great on mobile. What we suggest people to do is look at all the marketing you're doing. Are you doing direct mail? Are you doing cold calling? Are you doing you know, door knocking? And realize that no matter what marketing we do, all of our marketing is driving online demand. All of it. Even if we don't put a domain name on there, nothing. Because people are going to look at that text message that came in. They're like, who call, Who texted me from that? They're going to Google the phone number. And what happens is we're texting from burner phone numbers, essentially tracking numbers. When you Google search an average tracking number, it's like scamcallsite.com, you know, whocalledme.com or whatever. That's the opportunity for people that are that even if you're not wanting to do online marketing is how do we close more deals from our existing offline marketing by tightening up our online authority? Wow. That's really cool. I don't really want to ask, ask another follow-up question there. I, I want to go back earlier to what you were saying, how you were buying a bunch of these different properties and the properties that you've purchased and, and hold today. Almost all of them are exclusively seller financed. Uh, how are you funding your acquisitions today? Or is it all your money? Is it a combination of investors money? You want to just give us a little background on that, if you don't mind? Dude, 100%. I'm going to be the first one to admit that I'm probably not the best example to follow when it comes to like real estate <laughs> investing. If you want to learn how to drive leads, if you want to learn how to build a software <laughs> company, dude, build a team, I'm your guy. Want to learn how to invest in real estate and scale it? I'm following my buddies like Doug Faith in Philadelphia and Daniil Clayman in, in Richmond, Virginia. So here, here's what I'm doing. And you guys are probably going to laugh at it. And other people on this call are going to go, dude, I'm way smarter than Trevor. And Awesome, because you probably are. Don't worry, it's not a competition. We're just curious. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're not here to judge. <laughs> no, so most of my properties are, are owner finance. So six, six of the properties that are commercial are, are owner finance. 
There's one property that does have a loan on it. That's a commercial loan through Umpqua Bank uh, right across the street over here. Uh, it's a building down here. That one there, the interest rate that we got in that is in the mid fours. That was just a very, very recent acquisition. I did put money down on that one. I put 25% of my own cash down on that one. And then we're working on repositioning that property to be a really great co-work space is what we're looking to do on that one. I was also more so just referring to like these other shorter term repositioning deals, like helping people. I gotcha. Yeah. Those kinds of things that you say you do about like 10 of, what'd you say? 10 of those a month? I do three to five five of those types of deals a month. Yep. Between flips and wholesales. And they're always with partners. So I'm the guy who drives the leads. And then I'm the guy who funds those deals. They, they, they work the deals um, on the streets. Got and it. so for the house flips, I'm funding those. And then I get my share of, of the profits, get the interest in my share of the profits. On the wholesale deals, uh, those ones doesn't, don't take any money at all. Because uh, those ones were, were paying for marketing, which comes out of my pocket. The on the job, the, the, the on the streets guy there, Bo Hollis, in, in this example, in Louisville, simplysold.com. He's the guy that gets the lead and negotiates it. And we double close them. Bo will take his cash, close on the property, and then that same within minutes he signs the signs the sale right away. So I'm not the best example on the investor side. I know how to make cash, but not how to invest it as well. Hey, you're still growing the pot, so that's good. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Excellent. So what's next for you? What where do you see carrot going and and what what are kind of your five, 10 year goals? If you would have asked me this question this time last year. I wasn't really clear. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting because I heard a quote years ago and it popped back up in my brain when my coach kind of called me on it mid-year last year. And he said, Trevor, it kind of seems like, like you're like non-committal on where you're wanting to go in the future. You, you have one idea today and then you're committed to this other one. Like you're just bouncing back and forth. You're all over the place where you want this business to go in the next three years. And I said, I know like one day you're, you see the emails coming from VC firms who want to invest in you or buy you. The other day you're like, oh, I love my team and I love my mission. Like, I really want to drive that. And um, he said, what happens when you're at that spot is, is usually because you ran out of runway on your vision. Usually because you had a vision that got you where you are. You're at the end of that. And we were at the end of our five-year vision that ended at the end of 2020, our stated five-year vision. And he said, dude, you need to pull back and get really clear where you want to go. And once you're clear on that, then you can really drive it forward. And so I can answer it confidently now. The shifts that I see in the market right now, there's a lot happening in real estate, as you guys see. There's the iBuyer part that's coming in that's, that's forcing the hand at the real estate brokerages. I'm really, really bullish on Keller Williams going public in the next 18 months. They're, they're setting up a bunch of stuff where I think they're, they're going to go public. I think you're going to see other moves like that happen because they're all, they're all realizing, shoot, we've got to compete against still. We've got to compete against these other companies that are innovating at fast paces. The reason they're doing that is because they essentially see the market shifting and they know that they can no longer be one trick pony showing up to a house and saying, I can list your property for 3%, 6%, whatever it is. And so the market is going to continually move towards the model that we call hybrid, which is, hey, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, what, what are you going for? What pains or problems do you have? What, do you, what aspirations do you have? Okay, cool. Let's list this on the market. That sounds best for you. So it can put the most in your pocket or the other way around. It could be, you know what? You should list this on the market to get the most, but really here's this op- this cash offer I can give you. So the market's going to move there and we're going to help drive it there. Number two, on the real estate agent side of things, uh, but investors as well, uh, everyone wants sellers. And up to this point with Carrot, we hadn't really like marketed ourselves as the seller, motivated seller lead gen company. That's what we've been doing. And that's what our clients have been generating a lot of motivated seller leads. But we help people get buyer leads and land leads and rent to own tenant leads and all that kind of stuff. And so we're, we're going to hyper-focus on sellers for the next three years. We're, we're going to be like, we're going to be the number one organic inbound seller generation machine in the world uh, in, in, in real estate. We're already pretty close to that. If you're to Google like sell my house fast in certain any state in the country, you're probably gonna find a lot of carrot sites up there. We wanna we wanna dominate that even more, but then move over into being able to be better at paid marketing with and for our clients. And that's something we haven't really done a lot of. The next part is is, is this. So we want to help more agents and hybrids work together and get more seller leads. But the next part is this is what we don't do well at all or at all is we help you get leads, but we don't help you manage those leads, follow up with those leads. And that's one of the big parts of making our leads actually work, right? Like, are you following up with them? Do you have a good system to manage that lead? And so 
we're looking at acquiring a company right now that will be the lead management follow-up side of what we do. So when someone comes in, you get the lead and then all of a sudden all the lead management follow-up text email uh, can all happen in one system, which it's like right CRM, now, yeah. basically an in-house CRM. Exactly. But that that's where we're going business-wise, man. We're, we're gonna we're gonna help move more of the market towards the hybrid uh, side of things. We're going to help uh, more people get evergreen leads so they so they can get off that darn marketing hamstool like we talked about before the ebb and flow, get more of those evergreen leads. And honestly, man, I, I just want to build a company that I want to continue to work into. Like, I don't want to be tempted to sell because I just want to show up to, to my job and like it. That's cool. Sounds like you're pretty passionate. I love what I do, man. Is there things that I absolutely hate to do during my week? Yes. Like <laughs> yesterday for half of my day, you know, I was working with my director of operations, kind of mapping out some ways to, to, to better wade through people situations. That, that's just kind of par for the course when you're growing a team that you get the opportunity to learn how to do those things. But I I love where we're going, love what I'm doing and love the challenges uh, along the way. Nice. Were there any, um, because 2020 was such a ridiculous year, were there any crazy challenges that you had to work through or did it actually create any new opportunities for you uh, or your company? Yeah, dude, 2020 was interesting, man. Our team was already remote. So we, we have, we have an office here, but only eight or you know eight or ten employees are here local in Roseburg, and then the rest of everyone else is elsewhere. So that part of it, we were fully ready. We didn't skip a beat because we we're already fully remote. One thing that did surprise me, and early in the pandemic, we started sharing this data with our with our community, and we were showing the data of what happened with with searchers that were landing on websites, buyers and sellers, right when the shutdown orders happened. Like literally, searchers for people looking to sell or buy went down by thirty percent overnight. Conversion rates went down by. 20% overnight. Three weeks later, the searches went back up and got bigger than ever, but conversion rates stayed soft. And so that, that, that was one of the big challenges going, okay, how do we make sure that we're educating the market well, we're coming out there building authority, we're educating the market well to show that you've got, it, you, you've got to be in it for the long-term mindset because a lot of people are killing their, their ad budgets at that time. They're going, shoot, my cost per lead is going up. And we're looking at the data going, what we're seeing is there's just a hunk of people that were and still are nervous about selling because they, at that time, didn't didn't know if they could go buy a house because of COVID or they didn't want people going through their house or you know whatever it would be. Or even investors were afraid to go through other people's houses. Dude, they, they were. So that was the biggest challenge was how do we lead through this as um, a person that's of authority and, and a guide for people proactively and hit the market with so much content to show them the data to say, don't act with emotion. Like the data says, keep your marketing budget strong, keep your retargeting going to get to stay in front of these people because your cost per lead will start to stabilize as more of your competitors bounce out. And the opportunity is going to be for the people who stay in. And that's exactly what happened. That was the biggest challenge. I think second biggest challenge, man, is we're remote, but we, we always fly the team in every, um, uh, we fly them in twice a year and we have, a, you know, the big company retreat. That's always been a big part of our culture. And I don't, I don't care how good your culture is remote. If you don't get together in person, there's going to be some things that, that start to creep up that, that aren't good. You need to get in person and shake the hand and hug the person and see that you're, you know, you're human and have those, have those interactions outside of the workday. And um, we're finally bringing that back in July. Like we're having our first in-person retreat since shoot, since January of last year. And uh, that has been a challenge because maintaining our, our strong culture while never meeting with most people in the company, I haven't met half of our, our, our team in person ever. And so that's going to be a, a really cool thing in about a month and a half. Yeah, no, I mean, we're in the same boat. I mean, we, we didn't do an in-person podcast for... 15 months. And mm-hmm. we just started a, probably a couple of weeks ago, started yeah. having people come back into the studio and do stuff in person. And it's just, it's so much different. It makes, you know, as we love zoom, it makes it way, the conversation flows better when you're kind of looking at someone across the table and, and kind of having that interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you, you, you know, you feel the same way. There's a couple of things we tested and, and we're still doing like, my head of people operations here, uh, she, she started something called Carrot Recess. And so every other Thursday for like an hour uh, in the middle of the day. So right after, or, or yeah, right after this, there's going to be the Carrot Recess. Or they might've already, yeah, they started at one. I'll pop in there here in a bit. 
but it's whoever wants to show up and they have like some games that you'll play and, and, uh, people will connect with each other and they'll even, depending on how, how many people are there, they'll put people in breakout rooms. So like, Hey, share you know, that little icebreaker questions, little things like that have helped big time to, to create and force situations that are for you know, getting people together. Well, pizza, pizza parties, the last Friday of the month, we buy Domino's pizza for everyone. It's kind of a tricky logistics thing when you're buying like 50 Domino's pizzas in 50 different houses across America. And you're trying to get them to all arrive around a 20 minute time window, but little things like that are fun and kind of help, help keep some of the humanity there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think, uh, I think we're coming up on time. So do we want, do we have any time for a quick game of overrated, underrated, appropriate related? Yeah, I think we should do that. Um, Trevor, not sure if you are familiar with this, but we're going to throw out a term or concept and you tell us if you think it's overrated, underrated, appropriately rated, and then maybe a little bit why, and we can kind of go from there. Dan, did you want to kick it off or do you want me to kick it off? I can kick it off. All right, go for it. Pay-per-click. Took mine. Dude, (laughs) uh, underrated. Underrated. The reason why people complain about it being expensive, I look at it as a cash machine that in Louisville... In the first three weeks, I can share you guys. Like I'll share all the data that you guys want to see. Like anything you guys want to see. First three weeks in Louisville, we started the campaign a month ago. We only got seven leads, but I've got like my partner there is an amazing negotiator and just really, really good. We got three contracts and seven leads. The first deal closed two Mondays ago, $56,000 profit in the bank from PPC. Second deal is a smaller one. It's a $10,000 profit. Third deal, get this guys. And this is, this is like the dynamic that's happening right now. We're selling all of our deals to hedge funds, the ones that we wholesale over to $90,000 profit. We bought it for, for 90,000, which was more than any other investor would pay for it. The hedge fund paid 90 and I can, that's a whole nother call, but $140,000 in profits in the first month with PPC. Jeez. Well, that definitely is pretty good. Yep. <laughs> I assume you need people because we've tried PPC and then we're going to go on tangent, but we've tried PPC yep. and we spent a lot of money and didn't get any results. So I assume yep. the person we paid didn't know what they were doing. There's a few factors there. Number one is the ad campaign, the right one. Never trust Google's ad reps ever. Is the ad campaign the right one? Number two is the website set up to convert, but also build trust and credibility the right way. Most aren't. Yeah, most custom sites aren't as well. And then number three, you have to literally like those leads, you've got to be on the phone with within a minute or two when they come in. When you match those two up together, it, you can make it work really well. You get any one of them wrong, then it, it won't work as good. So I'll, I'll follow up on maybe a piece of that equation then. Call centers. So for answering or engaging with people, so is that... I think probably properly rated. If you're not answering phone calls, definitely is way better than not answering the phone call, like send it to a call center. The part where I would, I would caution people is don't think the call center is going to be your savior. Like, yeah, have someone talking to them, but as much as you can do a live transfer over to you or to your team member and or get back to those leads as quick as you can. But I think it's properly rated. If you're not going to answer calls, you need to have someone doing it, but it's not going to be as, as effective as you doing it yourself or someone on your team. Got it. No, I really appreciate that, that flavor. And I always try and cheat at this game anyway. I was like, cause my real intent was like, have a call center, do it or have you do it. So you answered it. So I appreciate that. Yeah, awesome. Exactly. Uh, Zillow. <laughs> oh man. I'm going to say, I'm going to say underrated. They're working on some stuff that I believe people won't see coming. Even some of the moves that they've been pulling yeah, some of us kind of thought, yeah, they're, they're going to go in the brokerage game. I was saying that three years ago and people were like, no, they're not going to. Why would they do that? They're going to like take away their client base. If they go into brokerages, where do they get their money? All the agents paying them for leads. I'm like, yeah, but that's their step. Like their stepping stone is to try to make money selling leads. The real thing is getting a, a cut of the deals. Like that's the real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think they're massively underrated. I think seeing Keller Williams come out and do an IPO, which, which for me is, is a prediction is, is a good indication that people are a little bit fearful and treating it really seriously now. And now that, that Zillow went in and said, we are a brokerage and they're going to start to make those moves, they're pretty much saying, we don't care about the average agent now, unless you're going to be working with us the way that you want us to. And it's going to be interesting, uh, underrated for sure. I agree. And uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, realtors who talk about Zillow, the way that people used to uh, like burn printing presses and such. It's just yep. like, Sorry, guys, uh, embrace it. You can fight this, but we're going to the printing press. So, Dude, Zillow's got the eyeballs, right? 
where do nine out of 10 people go and look for houses? If you have the eyeballs, you can control the narrative. And, and I think that's what's happening. All right. My last one here, uh, I will do TikTok. Dude, I, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say for this industry, probably properly rated, I'm guessing the, the demographic of people on it in general are, is still lower from what I gather. But I think as it goes, it's going to become more powerful for sure. But it's probably properly rated, but mainly because I don't know a ton about it. How about the, uh, the MLS? I know there's mm. all different local factions, but MLS is... Same one, man. I'm probably not the most qualified guy to, to answer this one, but this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that the MLS is, is overrated, mainly because I feel that the real estate agent community in general feels like it's an impenetrable wall that, Hey, we own this thing. And because we own this thing that no one can get into it, but that's where I see Zillow starting to step in or companies like them starting to step in to, to create something that could potentially become the new default or Zillow might step in and start to control MLS more. I, I don't know, but I'm going to say underrated, but I might be completely wrong on that and, and <laughs> have egg in my face in three years. The, the good news is there's no right or wrong answers. <laughs> <laughs> good. Letter writing campaigns. Letter writing campaigns. Uh, define that one for me a little bit more, Mark. Like direct mail? Yeah, direct mail. Uh, yellow letter, et cetera. Yep, cool. I think all marketing is underrated, honestly, like all of it. I think um, direct mail is always going to have a place. I, I, there's a lot of people that say direct mail is going to die, the same way that people say every five years the email is dead or SEO is dead or whatever. I love getting direct mail, dude. Like, I love it. And so, the older generations maybe don't love it as much, but anyone that's younger wants something physical. And mm. I'm saying younger is younger than me, right? Like, can you imagine being a 20? Uh, I'm 38. But can you imagine being a 23 year old and all you've gotten all your life is DMs? You get something physical in the mail from someone, you're like, what is this magic? I think, yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to get bigger and better. Yeah. I, I love let's that. Get a, let's get them all thing. rotary phones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Blow their minds. Yep. Um, well, this cool. has been this has been awesome. We appreciate it, and I think I think there was a lot of really good knowledge dropped. So, thanks for being on. And and if people want to get in touch with you, or or you know, how do they find Carrot? Dude, yeah, uh, Carrot.com is the easiest spot. We got tons of free content. We got a podcast called the Carrot Cast where oh. I talk about my entrepreneurial journey and interview amazing guys and gals like you guys. Uh, or follow me on IG, uh, just trevor.mock, that's M-A-U-C-H. And I document how we're doing the deals. I document how we're driving leads. I've got a series coming out showing how we're pulling out the, those deals and those leads from the Facebook or the Google PPC campaign shortly. So uh, trevor.mock on IG. Awesome, Trevor. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you. It's been fun. Hey, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Big time. And thanks everybody for listening, subscribing, all that good stuff. Spread the word. We're back. Well, we never really left, but we're going to be doing these more and more. So keep it going. And uh, send your ideas and thoughts and, and ideas for guests and other stuff. So thank you. <laughs> and rant. <laughs> <laughs>